glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. First John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesseth not, that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God, he that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. I think it's very interesting that he concludes verse 6 with distinguishing the spirit of Antichrist, of course, at the beginning, but in the end, the spirit of truth versus the spirit of of error. Uh, We have, capital S, the spirit of truth abiding in us, so that we can discern the difference between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. May I say this, if there's ever a time that you as a Christian need to know your Bible and know it cover to cover, know and not only know it but understand it, this is the time. You need to know your Bible. It's not enough to just read your Bible every day. That's a good start. But you need to be students of the Bible. You need to have a good understanding of the Bible because there are many, many deceivers. It was very interesting. My day started today with someone I have regular conversations with in town over Bible issues. He likes to strike up a conversation. He is of a very different persuasion than I am. And so he struck up a conversation today, and it was surrounding the Sabbath day and what all that means and how we should observe that. And I didn't realize how significant it would be to my day until I'd continue to prepare for tonight. And in preparing for tonight, realizing uh, I did some digging into where he was coming from, And if you looked into his religion on its face, it would say it is solo scriptura, scripture alone, right? But that's not true (laughs) because they build their beliefs on the scripture and their prophet. And you have to see that going together. They would say we're saved by grace through faith. But the same religion makes this statement. To say one has assurance of salvation before the day of judgment is presumptuous. Meaning this, this, this religion teaches that if you say you can be sure you're saved before you die, you're being presumptuous. Now, that means you have to work at it until you die and hope you get it. Now, when you hear that behind that, there's got to be some fundamental errors, and there are. The same religion has had great debates over, this will shock you, the nature of Jesus Christ. Uh, its founder, the person... Uh, very responsible for its founding, made the statement at some point in time in a note that Jesus took on him polluted flesh. Now, no doubt about it, he took on him and came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Romans says this, Romans chapter 8, I believe it is verse 3, that he took on him the likeness of sinful flesh. But you and I both know once you start going down that path, you are insinuating that he had a propensity to sin, and that's kind of what's insinuated there. And they've been all over the map on the nature of Jesus Christ. But what is finally stated is Jesus is our ultimate example, proving that you can be a perfect keeper of God's commandment in sinful flesh. Does anybody hear anything wrong with what I'm saying? (laughs) 
But when you read their materials, it's packaged this way. We can have victory because Christ conquered sin. Well, that's true. But if you're saying that we can be like Jesus in exalting ourselves to perfect obedience through effort, now we're dealing with something altogether different in a false gospel. You say, why are you bringing that up? Because I want us to understand how subtle error is today. No, very rarely is anybody going to walk up to you and say, I don't believe Jesus Christ came in the flesh. That's why you have to try the Spirit. The Bible doesn't say try the words. It's try the spirits, whether they be of God. The word spirit means this there. It's the word, it's the Greek word pneuma. It's the same one we get Holy Spirit from, but it's the idea is, is a breath or a blast of air. So it deals with wind or breath. You think about when you're dealing with the wind, the Bible talks about in Ephesians 4, not being blown about by every what of doctrine? Wind of doctrine. Wind comes from somewhere and it's going somewhere. It has a direction it comes from and has a direction it's going to and wind picks up and carries with it whatever it can as it goes. And false doctrine is the same way. It's going to carry you the direction it's going. So we need to figure out when we're trying the spirits, where is it coming from? And then you'll know where it's going to end up. And if you listen closely to what people teach, you'll say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I read of another man today, a very popular teacher, and he teaches that we only have one nature once you get saved. You don't anymore have the old sin nature. That the, sin, the old sin nature has been eradicated in, in so much that you only have one nature. Where does that lead to? Sinless perfectionism. The Bible teaches very clearly, you and I do have a sinful nature that has to be grappled with. The spirit lusteth against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit, Galatians 5 tells us. So one has to ask, where is this coming from and where is it going? What we have in 1 John is a hard, fast rule. When you have someone that denies that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, you have someone that you can affirmatively say they do not know God, they are not of God. You can have saved people that get confused by people like this, you can have saved people to get mixed up on their doctrine. That doesn't mean they're not saved. But when you have someone that denies that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, and you have that's the spirit behind it, that the spirit behind what they believe is denying that Jesus Christ is who the Bible reveals him to be, God in the flesh, whether it is through the incarnate birth, or it's through his resurrection in a body of flesh, or his return in a body of flesh then you understand that spirit behind that is not of God. It's Antichrist. And so then, because here's, here's the spirit of Antichrist. Flesh can become God rather than God became flesh. That's everything I'm talking to you about tonight. Those that would say Jesus is our example so that we can prove that sinful flesh can be perfect keepers of God's commandments. The man that teaches the old nature has been eradicated. The insinuation is then you can actually attain... Sinless perfection, whether it outright say that or not, that's the insinuation. That's where we're going with that. What it's teaching is this, flesh can become God. But Bible teaches us that God became flesh. There's a vast difference. You and I, no man, Jesus told Nicodemus, no man hath ascended to God or descended from, no, ascended to heaven nor descended from heaven, but the Son of Man which is in heaven. Explain that one. He's on earth talking to Nicodemus and telling him that he's in heaven. Is he on earth and in heaven at the same time? Yeah, the answer is absolutely yes. When you talk to those who deny the Trinity, uh, what they'll say is, well, how did Jesus pray to himself? That's one of their chief arguments. What they're saying is, what you're teaching that Jesus is God, never ceased to be God, can't be right. I beg to differ. That's the spirit of Antichrist. He never ceased to be God. 
He may have, he may have limited his deity in moments of time so that he could minister to us, but he never ceased to be God. And you and I will never begin to be God. Amen? At the heart of every false religion is a false teaching on who Jesus Christ is. And so then, I say all that to say this. What we're going to see tonight is vitally important. It's important for the child of God. John is not writing to a pastor's school in 1 John 4. He's writing to every believer. This is for the everyday believer. If we're not careful, uh, the, the, the relationship between pastor and church gets out of kilter in this sense. We'll let the pastor do the work, and I'm not saying you're doing this. I'm saying it's a temptation of finding out where all these errors are, and we'll just believe what the pastor says. Don't you dare. Listen to what is being taught from the Bible. Apply it, but be like the Bereans and be noble. It is every Christian's responsibility to know what is true, to be able to discern a spirit of error from the spirit of truth. And the only way to do that is to be skillful in the word. That's Hebrews chapter 5, I believe it is. We've got to be skillful, not eaters of milk only, but milk and meat Christians so we can discern between good and the evil. And so let's, let's get into this tonight. A very simple text tonight with these six verses. So let's begin to look at verses 1 through 3. In verses 1 through 3, a commandment is given. And the commandment we see in verse 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit. The first aspect of this commandment is, I'm going to put a restriction on you. And by restriction, I mean, I'm going to tell you first what not to do. In essence, he is saying, don't, don't be gullible as Christians. I remember some years ago when Glenn Beck was a, uh, a, a strong TV personality. We had some people attending church at that time, claimed to be Christians, and they made the statement, I think Glenn Beck is a Christian. I said, it can't be. They said, well, I, I mean, he talks about Jesus and his faith and personal faith in Jesus for the atonement. I said, it can't be. If he believes what Mormonism teaches and he's a Mormon, the man can't be saved. They have a false Christ. And some may take this, well, that's mean. It's our job to discern between truth and error. When you change the identity of Jesus Christ, how many believe Jesus is a brother to Lucifer? That's what the LDS church teaches. Numbers of LDS members don't know that's what their church teaches. But that Jesus and Lucifer were brethren, and Jesus won the day, basically, way back yonder, and got his way. <laughs> You change who Jesus is. How many of you realize they do not believe that Jesus Christ, the Son, the Father, and the Spirit are one God? They don't believe in the Trinity uh, as it is given to us in the Bible. My point is this. We don't study those things so we can pick on people and be spiritual know-it-alls, but to protect our fellowship with God. We're talking about the conviction of fellowship. When I love God and I trust God, then I don't want something to pull me away from Him and my fellowship with Him. So, beloved, believe not every spirit. The prophets prophesy with the Spirit. It's either the Holy Spirit or it's an evil spirit. It is either the Holy Spirit or it's an evil spirit. And, and so he says, don't believe every spirit. Then he says, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. You need to know whether the Spirit... The Bible says the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. If he's a true prophet, uh, then God has given him the ability to rule and reign that spirit. And so try the spirits, whether they be of God. And so we have a restriction. Don't believe every spirit. Believe not every spirit. The requirement, but try the spirits. Meaning, put the spirit to the test. You put to the test the wind behind the message, the, the force and the direction, okay? You're going to hear somebody saying something. How many have ever heard somebody take a Bible truth, but make a Bible truth statement to lead you to doubt what the Bible actually says. So, for instance, I was studying a little bit today. In Matthew chapter 24, the Lord Jesus says no, that uh, 
that he himself did not know the day or the hour of his return in Matthew 24. Someone brings that up to say, well, well, just wait a minute. Isn't he God? And God is omniscient, but in that moment he's not omniscient. Where's that leading to? How about stop and say, you know what? Let's settle on what we know is true. He's God. So we got that settled. So I'm not exactly sure how to process a moment of time where he chose not to know something. I got news for you. That was stated in Matthew 24, but I got news for you. I believe with all my heart Jesus knows today when he's coming back. I don't believe that's kept from him. He set that omniscience aside for a moment of time for a purpose, and that was fulfilled. My point is you can't take that. When someone suggests, well, why was it there? He didn't know when he was returning. That wind is already starting to blow in the direction of, so maybe he wasn't God at that point in time. You with me? Try the Spirit. Don't just listen to what's being said. Try the Spirit. Where's this leading? Three times, what did Satan say to Jesus? If thou be the Son of God. If thou be the Son of God. You know what the spirit behind that was? It's possible that you're not. It was a spirit of, 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 of deceit and a spirit of deception to say, God the Father told you at your baptism you're the Son of God. The Scripture tells you the Son of God. You know you're the Son of God, but it's possible you're not the Son of God. If thou be the Son of God. And then he used Scripture to try to get Jesus to sin. Well, the Scripture says, if you cast yourself down, he gives his angels charge concerning thee, lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. So... Go ahead and let God prove that Scripture is true. I want to see, I, we want to demonstrate the truth of the Bible, so throw yourself off a building to prove that God tells the truth. You know what that sounds like? Satan sounds like he's concerned about God's name. He's suggesting God might be a liar and you need to make him prove that he's not. That's why Jesus said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. you you got to get beyond what's being said to the spirit behind it. Why is this being said? Why is this being suggested? What are we doing here? Where is this leading? Where is it coming from? So try the spirits. In the Bible, proving what someone says out is commended. Can I say this to you? If you ever get a Bible teacher that is unwilling to have his content challenged by Scripture, look out. Bells and whistles and red flags ought to fly everywhere. When someone is preaching the truth, the last thing, and I'm not talking about being a stinker. We're not talking about that. Some people like to challenge everything anybody preaches. They're just scorners. We're not talking about being a scorner. But in Berea, in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, the Bible says, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind. So they're not challenging and questioning everything that's pre-preached. Don't get that in your mind. It says, and search the scriptures daily whether those things were so. The Holy Spirit of God says, because they listened to the Apostle Paul preach, and he preached Christ in the Scriptures, they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go home and check our Old Testament Scriptures to see and test what this man is saying to see if it's actually true. Anytime, I don't care if he's an independent Baptist or if he's something else, the preacher says, well, you just take my word for it. You just, I mean, we as preachers need to be trustworthy, but if we're trustworthy, we have no problem with our words being checked against the Bible. And so proving things out is commendable in Scripture. It's not only commendable, it's commanded. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, he says, Prove all things. I believe many of God's people have lost the skill of doing what the Bible calls justice and judgment. Taking something that is stated, lining it up against what you know to be true, and finding out if it lines up and passes muster. We should be able to do justice and judgment. So, for instance, there's no better Bible dictionary than the Bible. 
If you want to understand biblical terms, understand how the Lord Jesus Christ used them. You want to understand the concept of redemption? Do a study in the Bible on redemption. You'll get it. You have the Holy Spirit of God in your heart, and you have the Bible in your hands. What it takes is due diligence to say, I'm going to find what God actually has to say on these issues. Study it out, and it's amazing how you gain understanding by studying God's Word with an open heart so that when somebody says something, you can line it up against what the Holy Spirit said and say, does that pass the test? It is noble to prove concepts, doctrines, and spirits against the Word of God. It's a noble thing. It's commended. It's commanded. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Now, again, that's, that's a broader context. Here specifically, he's talking about proving out whether or not someone's a false prophet, whether they have the spirit of Antichrist. And so then, we're to prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Our proving or our commandment to try things, the requirement we're given is commendable, but it's also commanded. It's the responsibility of Christians to know the Word of God, to be able to listen with a discerning ear and make a judgment on, is what I'm hearing true or false? I love asking people the question, what criteria do you use to determine if you're going to believe something? Kind of a loaded question. What's the most important aspect of whether or not you're going to believe something? This is rocket science. Is it true? (laughs) This entire last year, there's been one of the reasons we've all battled so much confusion. In the onset of the whole COVID thing, pastors, we were talking, many pastors talking to each other, man, how do you handle this? One of the reasons there's so much confusion is there was facts mixed with fiction. On every side of the issue, the government issuing contradicting uh, guidances. You had different authorities saying different things. The Internet filled with rumors, right-wing conspiracies, left-wing conspiracies. There's all, all kinds of junk out there to, 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 to try to sort through, to figure out how serious is this? I mean, what's really going on? To where at the end of this thing, a lot of people have lost a lot of trust because of all the deception My point is this, Satan does the same thing in the spiritual realm. He throws all kinds of ideas out there, and it leaves us with the idea that sincere people can't really know what's true. Look at how many different beliefs there are on one one verse. Remember this, no prophecy of the Scriptures of any private interpretation. The Holy Spirit of God knows what he meant with what he said. So if I'm confused, or if I think something and somebody else thinks somebody else, then we need to get the mind of God on it and... The way to do that is find out what he said. If you're saved, speak to the author and he'll help us understand. All I'm saying is tonight, I think in an age where we're told that you're just supposed to love everybody, and that's true, where's that leading to? (laughs) Lay down all judgment, lay down all discretion, all discernment. If you say what that person said is not right, all of a sudden you're a hater. And that's in the spiritual realm, that's in the political realm, that's in the social realm. But the fact is, the Bible says, he that is spiritual does what? Judgeth all things. We're not judges of one another. Don't misunderstand. This is where we need to understand the Word of God. You don't judge me, I don't judge you, we're not going to give an account to each other. But we're supposed to judge everything. Is this true? Is it false? Is it right or is it wrong? I said, let me just say this. I'm I'm saying a lot of things kind of in a broad sense. We'll get more specific in a moment. When it comes to the Bible issue, I've heard a lot of people tell me why it is cultish and all kinds of things to be King James only when it comes to our English Bible. To this date, I've never had someone who rejects the fact that God has preserved his words for us in English in King James, in the King James Bible. I've never had one person to this date give me Bible for why they believe that. Not one. 
Give me Bible. I'll listen to you. But if you're going to give me human reasoning and all the reasons why it can't be so, and this is the reason it can't be so, and this is the reason it can't be so, I can't hear you. <laughs> I want to believe, Look, how many of us believe, and just bear with me tonight. I think this is important to deal with. I, I want to deal broadly first with the subject of it is noble and right to test what we hear and prove it out. We are responsible to test what we're hearing, doctrine and the spirit behind that doctrine. How many of you believe Jesus is born of a virgin? Why do we believe that? We base our doctrine about his birth on the Bible. The doctrine of the incarnation of Christ is based on the scripture. The doctrine of salvation. We base that on how we believe we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, because that's what the Bible says. But amazingly, we get into the doctrine of the scripture and people say, well, I believe this because of, they start quoting history. I believe this because of this manuscript, and I believe this because of this manuscript, and I believe this because of this Greek. And this. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why do we get all of our doctrines about what we believe about every other issue, but when we get our doctrine about the Bible, we consult other sources? Here's what I'm trying to say. You take, for instance, the doctrine of the Bible. I believe in an inspired, infallible, inerrant word, and that's what I actually mean. I believe that this Bible, the one in my hands, does not have errors. How many people do we know say, we believe the Bible is inspired, inerrant, and infallible? And then you say, which one? They say, well, basically what was given in the originals. So we don't actually have an infallible Bible. Is that what we're to understand? Pretty much. Well, where do we get the Bible to come to that conclusion? Upon what scripture do we believe that the Bible today is lost? Because the Bible actually says the opposite. Heaven and earth shall pass away, my words shall not pass away. Uh, the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times, thou shalt keep them. O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. There are promises that God would not let his words be lost. And my point is this tonight. You and I need to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why is that what I'm hearing true? It may sound logical, but is it true? And so John tells these, he's writing to I'm giving you a commandment, beloved Believe not every spirit. Let's, let's, get into, let's get into the spirit behind challenging the infallibility of the Bible. What spirit is that? What spirit is it that gets you to say, well, we're not sure that we can trust every verse in here. Some of those may be spurious reading. Do you know what most, guys that reject the King James only position believe about our King James Bible? That the men who wrote the Textus Receptus, the scribes, added words. I mean, you know, that's what non-King James believing people, if they get down to the root of what they believe, they say the reason the Textus Receptus, the Greek text behind the King James Bible, is not good is that the scribes, in order to support their doctrine, added verses like 1 John 5, 7. Let me ask you something. If the men who translated or scribed out our Bible added verses, what kind of men were those? Wicked men. God said, you don't add to or take away from his words. And may I say this, if the way we got this King James Bible is by men adding words to what God said, I don't want it. But now if not, then the other ones did what? Took away. Ah, but it can't be both ways. The very men that would say, and I've read this repeatedly, and the Lord just must want us to go this way tonight. I'm talking about proving all things, but let's keep using this illustration that would say our King James Bible was given us by verses like 1 John 5, 7 or Acts 8, 37 being added, would also say, but it's a good Bible and it's a good translation. Really? I wouldn't say that. 
If they added verses, it's a bad translation. But if they didn't add verses, they know the Bible they're using took verses away. So it's easier to say they're all... Now, what's the spirit behind that? What does it cause in you? Where's this going to go to? Confusion. God is not the author of confusion. Somebody said, I would rather just leave that issue alone. It's too controversial. Friend, once you've lost confidence in your Bible, you are now on the throne. Or whoever is in control of you is on the throne. My point is this. Once you, Satan knows this. If you lose confidence in your Bible, you have lost your stability as a Christian. I was challenged with thoughts today that are not true, but if I didn't have a Bible, I wouldn't know why they're not true. By men much smarter than me. I read one man today who believes in the eradication of the old nature. He can quote Greek like I can quote English. But he's wrong. Because it's not what the Bible teaches in Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8. And you know where his doctrine is leading? It's leading to a prideful exaltation of self that will ruin any of us. It is vital to not... Listen to me now. You can't just cherry pick which doctrines we want. And don't. It's vital for you and I to say, you know what? I'm never going to stop loving people. I'm never going to stop being tender-hearted. But that doesn't mean I have to be a spiritual gullible. I'm not to be spiritually naive and gullible and saying, well, I just believe anybody that names the name of Jesus must love him. Friend, that's not true. There are many false prophets gone out of the world. There are wolves in sheep's clothing. And it is, it is, it is necessary if you want to be spiritually protected from being robbed of your fruitfulness. Satan can't steal your salvation, but boy, he can sure steal your joy. And he can sure rob you of an eternal reward. And so the restriction, beloved, beloved, he starts with, I love you, so listen to me. Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits. May I say this? This does not only apply in the religious world. How many of you ever sat down and watched a, um, a, a public television show? You ever pick up on the spirit behind it? And you may be able to watch it and be just fine, say that's not right and that's not right, but you better try the spirit behind that thing. When they say as though it's emphatic fact, hmm, 10 million years ago, no, that's immediately a denial that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. You say, they're not talking about the, the virgin birth. They're talking about creation. If you believe in evolution, you don't believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, I promise you. And so then our commandment is, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they be of God. And then the requirement is, so that's the restriction, believe not every spirit. The requirement, try the spirits. The reasoning, because there are many false prophets are gone out into the world. Many false prophets are gone out into the world. Uh, I was talking with the, the man I was speaking of earlier, and one of the things that opened the conversation was about the period of the mid-1800s and how many spiritual voices there were during that time. Very intriguing. While... Um, George Mueller was doing his great work in Bristol, while Hudson Taylor was doing great work in China, uh, while uh, uh, Charles Spurgeon was preaching in the Metropolitan Tabernacle, while uh, D.L. Moody was preaching in the United States, uh, while a number of these things were going on, you had Mr. Westcott and Hort challenging the validity of our Bible, starting a revision committee that would change how our English Bible reads forever, uh, result in all the new translations. You had uh, a man named Charles Taze Russell starting in about 1830, 1840, what is now known as Jehovah's Witnesses. In 1843, you had a Baptist preacher named Miller who predicted the return of Jesus Christ, and the result of that false prophecy was the birth of Seventh-day Adventism. With Ellen G. White, you have uh, Joseph Smith getting revelation through a gazing stone from the angel Moroni and giving us the Book of Mormon. All of that during the same period of time. 
And by 1901, the charismatic movement had taken birth in England and the United States and people were getting fire from heaven and the Azusa Street mission took place. And out of that has come so much mass confusion that apostasy has run rampant. You say, what do we do? Know your Bible. Believe your Bible and be discerning. Prove and try the spirits whether it be of God because many, you think there are less false prophets today or more? More, of course. Many false prophets are going out of the world. Because there's many false prophets, there's many false spirits. And so then it's our job to try those and see if they are of God or not. Then he gives us the rule. I'm glad God says, here's what you do and here's how you do it. You're going to try the spirit whether it be of God. Here's it, verse 2. Hereby know ye the spirit, capital S, of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, is not of God. Uh, so every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. This is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. I'll use the most obvious example of all, and that would be the Jehovah's Witnesses. If you ask a Jehovah's Witness, do you believe that Jesus raised from the dead in a body of flesh and bones? Jeff, what's their answer going to be? They will answer you emphatically, no. He raised as a spirit. Even though Luke 24 explicitly is a record of Jesus' resurrection, and he told his disciples, Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. You and I reason from, if the scripture's that plain, you have no choice but to believe what the scripture says. That's not where they're coming from. They're going to confess, no, no, that's a confusion. And what they're going to say is that was a false translation of the Bible. They're going to change John 1.1, where John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If you want to ask if adding one letter makes a difference, read the New World Translation, which says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. They add the letter A and change capital G to little g. That changes everything. Does it not? changes everything. And so my point is this. There's a, a, a religion we can look at and say, are there confused people in there? Can God save people out of there? Absolutely. Ask Miss Judy Moberg if God can save people out of Jehovah's Witnesses. She got saved out of it. But the fact of the matter is, it is an inherently anti-Christ religion. I read one, some, something a man wrote the other day. He claims to be a born-again believer. And he talked about the Jehovah's Witnesses are part of the body of Christ. They are not. They are not. And we need to be discerning of that. That's a very obvious example. I think there's a lot more cleverly disguised religions that have the spirit of Antichrist we have to be discerning about, but that one's obvious. Uh, you remember, I spoke of this a few weeks ago, but the, the Mr. Emoto that likes to come around and write letters and do all that kind of stuff, we asked him, he said, Jesus returned in 1950-something or another. I said, did he return in flesh or in the spirit? He said, in the spirit. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> no, 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 no. He, when he returns, it'll be in a body of flesh and bones. As he went, so he will come in like manner. Amen. And so in some way, shape, or form, they're going to deny either uh, his coming in, in the flesh, in, in our, uh, born of a virgin, being raised from the dead in the flesh, or returning in the flesh. The fact of the matter is, if they confess that not, the word confess there simply means to acknowledge something that's already been stated to be true. So confessing something is not pulling it out of your hat and saying it. It's something that's already been stated, and you're, you're speaking in affirmation. So God has already declared Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Anyone that doesn't affirm that. How many of you have seen the religion I spoke of earlier? They, have a, they dance all around it. The, the statement that was made was, 
Well, among us, speaking of the nature of Christ is a very divisive issue. Why should speaking of the nature of Christ be divisive? Unless you're not in the body of Christ, right? And so my point would be there are some religions, they dance all around it. I've heard some men, and by the way, the denial of a perfect Bible and the denial of a perfect Savior go hand in glove. I've heard some men say, well, you know, in his humanity, and they insinuate there were certain things he didn't know because he was so affected by our sin nature. They won't outright say he sinned, but boy, they're about that close. Look out for that. That's the spirit of Antichrist at work. So the rule is, if they confess not that Jesus Christ has come to the flesh, it's Antichrist. It doesn't Look, what if a religion... I remember a few years ago, Prop 8 in California. Remember what I'm talking about? There was a movement to, uh, to outlaw gay marriage in California. That's wonderful. It's a good, good movement. What happened is, is the Mormon church got behind that, put some money behind it, and Baptist churches and Mormons and Catholics were all working together for the common good. That's not right. I don't care if, if the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Catholics who on their face say the right thing about Jesus, but they put Mary right there with him. <laughs> same, same spirit, spirit of Antichrist. My point would be this. If they're all doing a good thing, let's say they're all politically conservative and they want to outlaw abortion, they want to outlaw homosexuality. Can we just forget that they don't confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? That's the defining rule of fellowship. If they don't confess Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, they are not of God. I don't care how conservative they are. It doesn't matter what a platform they have. That's our rule for whether or not we have fellowship. And so the restriction, believe not every spirit, the requirement, but try the spirits whether they be of God. The reasoning, because many false prophets have gone out in the world, you've got to be aware you're going to have a lot of, of, of seducing spirits at work around you. The rule Take them back to who do they confess Jesus Christ is. If someone cannot confess plainly to you with conviction of their own, he is God in the flesh. He is God who came in the flesh. Beware, beware. And test that a little further to find out what they really believe about Jesus Christ. The reality, verse 3 of 1 John 4, he says this, And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist wherever you have heard that it should come. You heard it's coming. And then he says this, and even now already is it in the world. That was 2,000 years ago. So the reality is this is something that's not hypothetical for us. Not hypothetical for us. This is a reality we have to deal with every day. In an information era where you can listen to all kinds of information about God, about the Bible, it is your duty to know your Bible so that you can put to the test. May I say this just very quickly? You can, I said it already. I'm not insinuating just because someone says something that's false, they're of the spirit of Antichrist. Good people get confused and say things they shouldn't say. But when they have the spirit of Antichrist, they're ultimately going to get around to denying that Jesus is who the Bible says he is. They'll get around to it sooner or later, and it's your job and mine to know that and steer clear of those who deny the, the truth of who Jesus Christ is. So the reality is we are dealing with this. It's, again, it's not hypothetical. It's actual. Number two, our confidence. We've seen our commandment, verses 1 through 3. Number two, our confidence. He says, verse 4, Ye are of God, little children. Now, I love that verse because throughout First John, John doesn't treat these people like they might not be saved. You notice that in First John? He doesn't say, hopefully you're born again. Maybe you're of God. He had confidence in the salvation of the people he's writing to. Now, those that were trying to affect them and teach them false, no confidence in them. There were seducers coming in, but he says, Look, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. 
That's something that's accomplished. You know what he's saying? Because you're born again, these people cannot ultimately conquer you. You've overcome them. So he's not talking about them losing their salvation if they're ill-affected by these people. And he's instilling in them, look, you have confidence. You are, you're of God. He's going to say in a moment, they're not of God. These false teachers are not of God. But you're of God, little children, and have overcome them. Here's why. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Of course, who he's speaking of, he that is in the world, is the devil. The devil is the driving force behind the false prophets of our day. Once again, what did, Je- what did the Satan question three times of Jesus? If thou be the Son of God. If you're actually who you claim to be. Do you think he's not still challenging that? Still questioning that? You know what a works-based religion boils down to? If you truly believe, and if a person truly believes, you can make yourself good enough for God... We are bringing Christ down to being nothing more than a good human. You know what Islam teaches about Jesus? Islam does not spit in the face of Jesus Christ in the writings of the Quran. It says he was a good prophet. It says that he was a good teacher and we should follow his example. But it also says he is not the son of God, a good prophet. That's the spirit of Antichrist. Some would think that perhaps Islam doesn't treat Anything concerning Jesus. Oh, no. Jesus is a major part of who they are teaching is about. But he's just a good prophet right there with Muhammad. When we bring Jesus down to the level of a good man, that's the spirit of Antichrist. He's not just a good man. May I say this? If he's not God in the flesh, he's a bad man because he's a liar. Liars aren't good men. They go to the lake of fire. Yes, he said, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Couldn't be plainer than that, could it? And so my point is this tonight, our confidence is this. If you're saved tonight, I believe John's saying this, I'm not trying to instill in you fear. I'm trying to tell you there are wolves out there who want to do you damage and do you harm. You're of God, little children, and have overcome them. The reality of our victory is because Jesus Christ has saved us, because we've been born of God. That's what he means. He says, year of God. We have the nature of Christ dwelling in us by the Holy Spirit then that is our victory. It's His presence in us that guarantees our victory. That's what He says. Because greater is He that is where? In you than He that is in the world. These false prophets, they're of the world, He's going to say in verse 5, but you're not. You're of God and you have the victory. Revelation 12, 11 reminds us, and they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Our faith in Jesus Christ is our victory. It's not our faith in ourselves. It's our faith in Him and who He is. He's, I love Hebrews 2.14. He has conquered the devil already. Satan has already had his head bruised by the heel of Jesus Christ. I was in the jail the other night and a man was asking me something about the devil. I said, you know, you do realize that Satan has to obey Jesus Christ. He said, you're kidding. I said, no, absolutely. He is, he, is, he is like a dog on a leash. And I'm not belittling Satan's power. I'm no match for him in my flesh. But I'm telling you this, Christ already defeated him. 1 John 5, 4. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. And so then, I believe what John's saying is, look, I'm giving you the key to victory. You know who Jesus Christ is. He dwells in you. You can identify these people and they don't have to conquer you because you have the victory. We have confidence because of who dwells in us. First Corinthians fifteen fifty seven says, But thanks be unto God, which giveth us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so through Christ, we already it's not going to get victory 
We have it. We have already overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The Holy Spirit of God, the giver of truth, is greater than the giver of lies. Someone might say, well, how do I, (laughs) so much deception, how do I keep from being deceived? Listen to the author of the Bible who lives inside of you and he'll give you the discernment. Amen? And so then, this is not about instilling fear but confidence. We have the victory because of Christ in us. Number three, our contrast, verses 5 and 6. John's going to make a contrast. He's going to start talking about they. He's talking about the false prophets. He says in verse 5, they are of the world. Notice this. These people who prophesy lies were never of God in the first place. They are generated by a world system under Satan's control. They are of the world. Do you remember Ahab's prophets who prophesied to him good? They were called prophets, so one might think, oh, they're men of God. Where'd they come from? Ahab chose them because they told him what he wanted to hear. They were not of God. They weren't of God, men who got just confused. They were actually of the world. I think one of the things we get naive about is we think that all religion is somehow attached to God. Most religion is not. Most religion is attached to Satan. Wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. Strange is the gate, narrow is the way that leadeth unto righteousness. Most religious speech you're going to hear on the radio, you didn't think I'm being cynical. Most of it's false. Most of it. Most, most of what you're going to hear on the television about God is false. Read your Bible. I want to know, I want to know what the Lord has to say. Stay in the book. Stay in the reading of the book. Stay under the preaching of the book. I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't give you a plug nickel for a church that doesn't preach the Bible. That's not of God. These false prophets, they're not of God. They never were. They are of the world. They're, they are the, 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 their father, the devil, is what Jesus told the Pharisees. Therefore speak they of the world. And the world heareth them. You ever wonder how these false religions get so big? They're of the world. It's the same reason that motivational speakers get a big following. They're speaking on worldly principles. The, the, the prosperity gospel preachers, friend, listen, they are false, inherently false. Nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus didn't say, take up your luxury and follow me. It's not what he said. He said, take up the cross and follow me. Prosperity gospel is no gospel at all. It's a lie. But it's based on worldly tenets, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. There's a form of witnessing that says, oh, you need to get saved. You'll be happy. You do need to get saved and you will be happy for eternity. But if you're telling somebody if they'll get saved, you have the best little quaint life with a nice, beautiful rose garden and soft breezes all day. That's a lie. Listen to the story of John and Betty Stan. The man never made 28 years old. Communist in China cut his head off nearly. Sliced his throat for being a missionary, preaching the gospel. He said he had the joy of the Lord. He wrote a letter the morning of his death, the morning before, talking about the peace they had in their hearts. Now, I'm going to tell you what, he's happy now. He wasn't happy right then. He said, what's, what's your point? My, my point is this, that the, the false prophets get such a following. Let me, let me give you one last warning here, and we'll wrap it up. How many times do we gauge whether a ministry is of God by the following it gets? It is, it is definitely our tendency. It's in our flesh to say, well, that must be right. Look at how many people believe it and follow it. That must be a good church. And it's not wrong to have a lot of people show up for church. Don't misunderstand me. The church of Jerusalem blossomed for a time. 
So it's not wrong to have souls saved and added. That's wonderful if it's healthy. But just because something gets a large following doesn't mean there's an ounce of truth in what's being said. He says they're of the world. You ever wonder how can people go to a church every Sunday and when you talk to them, they have no concept of what it means to be born again. They're of the world. Therefore, they, they are, they're going to gravitate to people who are of the world. Look at here. I want people who are of the world to know they're welcome to come here. But I'll be honest with you. I don't want them to be comfortable here. People that are of the world should not feel comfortable in Bonners Ferry Baptist Church until they get born again. True? Because they need to come under conviction. How many know that conviction is not comfortable? It's based in love, but it's not comfortable. And if the world can gladly join us and blend with us, I was talking to Brother Tyler, he's talking about some, some ministry among the natives there in Brazil. And he said there was a ministry, he said, it concerns me. He said, because the missionary's gone on there, and he said they put up a structure for a church in the middle of the village, and the minister's a, he's loosely, he's a Baptist, but he said, and when church comes, the whole village comes, everybody. He said, so the whole village is part of the church. And, he said, and I can tell where he's going. He said, there seems to be no distinction between who the village is and who the church is. It's a community gathering place, and everybody is now part of the church. They've gotten people to feel comfortable enough being part of the thing that everybody comes, the whole village. Now, either the whole village got saved or the message is of the world, and therefore those of the world are hearing it and coming. You with me tonight? The idea would be this. They are of the world, those false prophets. Therefore, speak they of the world. They have a worldly message. It's all about this and here and now. And the world heareth them. All the world can hear is physical. Physical. If you can tell me how the religion you're preaching is going to make me wealthier, healthier, or more wise in this life, I'm in. That's why when Jesus said, if you'd ask me, I'd give you water, she said, you don't have anything to dip with. How are you going to do that? She had no clue what he was talking about. Because he was not speaking of the world. He was speaking from God. And I'm trying to say is this tonight. The reason that false prophets get and garner following is because they're of the world, and the world hears them, and the world follows them. But he says in verse 6, we're of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. That's a bold statement. John says we are of God. And if somebody's of God, they'll gladly hear us. Uh, Then he says, he that is not of God heareth not us. I mean, they won't listen to the word of God because they're not of God. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. After pastoring for a few years, you you get all kinds of people that come and want to talk to you about all kinds of things. Many times people come and they have really big problems. And I found when people are being dealt with by God, they'll take the truth. Meaning, they'll hear you. Jim and I have talked about this many times. The, it matters not where somebody's at. I don't care if they're drunk off the street. If they'll receive the truth, God can help them. But people that are not of God will not hear this book. They will not. Those that are of the world, they have no ear for this. That's why Jesus said, if any man hath an ear, let him hear. John says this, he that is of God heareth us, he that is not of God heareth not us. There are those that will not hear the truth, they will not hear the preachers of truth, they will not hear the word of truth, because they're not of God. Look at 1 Corinthians 14 as we close. Paul says it this way, 1 Corinthians 14, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, verses 37 and 38. My brother-in-law Brian said verse 38 has become his life verse. You're going to chuckle out of that when we read it here in just a minute. If any man, verse 37, think himself to be a prophet or spiritual. He thinks he's a prophet or he's spiritual. 
Here's the test. Let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. If any man says he's a spiritual or he's a prophet, let him acknowledge that my words are scripture. That's what Paul's saying. He, he was a writer of scripture and he knew that. And he said, here's his litmus test. What does he do with the scripture? Is that what, We're not twisting the scripture to say that. If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things I write unto you are not the commandments of Paul, the commandments of the Lord. Verse 38, but if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. That's Brian's life verse now. And be ignorant, let him be ignorant. The idea would be this. There are those that the best they can do is constantly argue with the scripture. Why do they do that? Generally speaking, because they're not of God. When you're of God, you love the Bible. That's rocket science, isn't it? When you're of God, you love the Word. And I didn't say you can't get confused, you can't get deceived. Don't make my, I don't want my words to be misconstrued. There are people that are saved and have, at times, the old rebellion creeps up and they resist. Don't misunderstand me. But I'm saying this. John said, here's the rule. If they're of God, they hear us. By and by. If they're not of God, they won't hear us. They're going to hear the, the Word of God. They're going to hear the prophets of God that have given us His Word. And he said, hereby we discern with the Spirit. We perceive the Spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Here's where I'm at. When I can hear in someone's teaching constant questioning of Scripture, I'm done. And you need to be as well. If what they're preaching and teaching does is cause you to question whether or not you can trust your Bible, that's not right. Because ultimately they're going to cause you to question whether or not you can trust Christ. And behind that is the spirit of Antichrist. It's our job to be discerning, to be, to be people who prove Truth from error. And we do that by listening to the Spirit of God who is in us, who gave us His Word. Amen? And was gracious enough to preserve it for us in writing. And so, anyway, I hope that's helpful to you tonight. Let's be sober and be vigilant because we have the victory. Not, no, we, we've already been promised the victory. We have the victor living within us. Mm-hmm.